Welcome to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Frank Zakari, and you are listening to Life Altering Events. Today, we are broadcasting from two of my favorite places in the world, San Diego, California, where I am, and in Denver, Colorado, where my guest, Dr. Dina Samuels, is two of the cities that I completely and totally love. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our sponsor for the show today is the Tag Team, which is a partnership between the Abraham Group, which is headed up by Jay Abraham who is the best marketing mind and business builder in the world, per Forbes magazine. And he's increased the bottom line of over 10,000 clients by more than $21 billion. And then my company, Life Altering Events, and we're experts in business organizational development, as well as finance and scaling of organizations. The tag team members have all reached a point in our life where we want to give back and see the next generation of businesses thrive. This is a very elite and exclusive program for entrepreneurs we're looking to make an impact in the world and want to get the best return for their business. If you think you can make a difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, for all the application details. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as our communities continue the process of reopening and then closing and then reopening again, <laughs> the statement that I hear most often is, I just can't wait for things to go back to normal. Well, i got bad news for you. The old normal is gone. We're going to have to find a new normal in many, many areas. In business, for example, we're going to have to have a new normal for employees, when they're going to come to work, where they're going to come to work, what's the workplace going to look like, what kind of hours are people going to work, what's this impact going to be on your culture for your market, and then are your customers still going to be your customers, or are you going to find new ones? In our personal lives, we're going to have to create new normals for our time at home, how are we going to balance this time at home with work so we have some kind of a life? How are schools going to be different for our children? This is a real hot topic at the moment. What social activities are we going to engage in and when are we going to engage in them? And then what social activities are we going to abandon completely? This is all what's facing us. Now, finding these new normals means we're going to have change. And I'm not talking little minor adjustments or tweak changes. I'm talking major lifestyle changes. We all know that people hate change and change adds stress and frustration and often depression. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to break this cycle? How are we going to live a productive and happy life, positive lives? Now, no matter what environment you're in now, you do not have to let that environment define you. You have a choice. You can hope things get better. And as I say every week, that's not going to happen. Or you can learn to live in the moment. Now, what's that mean? Living in the moment. Now, as I talked with many lifestyle change experts, the term that I hear over and over is mindfulness training, which I understand is learning to live in the moment. Now, this is much easier said than done. So what exactly is mindfulness and how can we learn to live in the moment? Now, rather than try to research this myself or tell you about it, 
I was recently introduced to Dr. Dina Samuels, who's my guest today. And Dina is an expert and an author in building diversity, equity, and inclusion training and consulting based on mindfulness principles. She's an award-winning tenured professor. Dr. Samuels taught at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs for 20 years while consulting nationally and internationally. She describes herself as, at heart, I'm an educator with a passion for increasing your connection and your sense of belonging in the world. She also says, I am a springboard to help you reach your own and your organization's inspired potential. So, Dr. Dina Samuels, welcome to Life Altering Events. Oh, thank you so much, Frank. It's such a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Now, you have, Dr. Samuels, you've dedicated your life to the principles, uh, to teaching the principles of mindfulness. Define what that means, because many of our people listen to that and say, what does that mean? Yeah, so it's interesting because when, when, it's, when I started my journey, my mindfulness journey, uh, I, you know, I'd heard about it, I, you know, and I think that that's where the business world is right now. There's sort of, some folks have heard about it. Some folks, I mean, we have a gamut, right? Like that there's some folks who are just learning about it for the first time and others who literally have directors of mindfulness in their corporation, you know? So like there's, there's a big variety there. Um, and when I think about mindfulness, my definition really is present moment awareness. So, you know, the easiest way to think about this is it's sort of like, you know, the voice that's in your head. Mm-hmm. So there's a voice going on in your head. Oftentimes it's got a lot to say, you know, we call <laughs> yeah. it when it when it's really spinning out of control. We call it or um, in the Eastern practices, we call it uh, monkey mind. Um, <laughs> but usually uh, the idea is you're living your life and you have sort of this running monologue that's going on in the back of your head and so being in the present moment really has to do with focusing your attention on this moment so it's sort of turning down the volume of that that monkey mind turning down the volume of that your your internal monologue so that you can just be present and oftentimes we do that through our breath Um, and and the reason for that is because we're going to have our breath for the rest of our lives. We're going to have our breath, you know, for every, you know, until we don't, <laughs> right? right? So, so focusing on our breath, we, all, we can always use our breath as an anchor uh, because it will always be there. No matter, even if it's, you know, if it's fast paced or slow paced or jagged or, you know, any of the, you know, the, the things that happen to our breath over the course of even a day, uh, it's still always there. And so that's one of the reasons we, we come back to the breath, you know, that the breath of life really is what it is. And so focusing on that kind of reminds us, it kind of uh, pause, gives us an, a moment to pause from whatever's going on and focus in inside. And it, what it does is it ends up calming our parasympathetic system. And I can talk more about that if you, if you like. Sure, but, please um, go on. That's a good oh, okay. Um, so, so we know that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a neuroscientist, 
but uh, I've done a lot of research in this area so so that I can be versed in, in it so I understand what's going on in our brain. So there's a ton of research out there that shows the benefits, the health and wellness benefits of mindfulness um, in terms of calming our parasympathetic system, in terms of lowering our cortisol levels, our stress hormone, and uh, really calming us down to the point that it shifts the way we show up in the world, it shifts the way we live our lives, uh, and it just it, it increases our sense of peace and well-being in the world. And yeah, so I mean, there's over a hundred thousand, like you can Google search this, there's over a hundred thousand books on the topic of mindfulness now. Like it is such a huge um, concept. And people are writing about it. They're they're studying it. They're you know putting probes on people's brains and all of that. Um, John Kabat-Zinn is one who's been doing this research for several decades, and he's got a, you know tons of books and tons of research that uh, he's probably the the best the the most well known uh, researcher on this topic. But there's tons of others as well, and there's more and more coming because people realize the benefits from it. Well, it's easy to see, given the current state of the world, that uh, everyone is looking for some kind of inner peace and some kind of way to cope with what we're dealing with. Now, we're living in a very high-stress situation in a very uncertain world right now. So, in in your training, as you train people, how does this mindfulness-inclusive in- leadership training help organizations, first off, but then how does it help individuals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I always think about my trainings. And in fact, my, my latest book is called The Mindfulness Effect. Um, mm-hmm. And when I think about this sort of your mindfulness journey, um, and some folks are at the very beginning of it, and some folks are not interested in it, and it's all good, you know, whatever, whatever folks are, um, I never force anybody to do it. I said, I always suggest if you have not done it before, I suggest you try it. Give it a give it a go. Um, I can even do a, a very quick one with you today if you like, um, sure. and so you can see what it feels like in your body. And you know, if it feels good, you know, learn more about it. If it doesn't, and it, you know, you may want to try it again at some other time, or maybe it's not for you. So. I don't have any, you know, I'm not a proselytizing kind of person who is going to be like, oh, everyone has to do this. The, the benefit to me is that everyone has access to it. And so when you think about um, social justice, one of the things I love about mindfulness to, to, to you know, roundabout way get to the, your answer is that everyone has access to it and it doesn't cost a penny. The training of it might cost, you know, cost some if you're going to buy a book or you're going to, you know, do a training or whatever. Uh, but once you learn how to do it and, and you know, the books, you know, there's there's plenty of books out there that aren't super expensive. Mine, mine actually isn't either. But um, all of that to say that how does this work for the individual? The mindfulness training, once you understand what it can do for your body on an individual letter level, you're talking about being able to calm yourself down at a time when we, as you mentioned, are really in panic mode. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the world right now is in panic mode and it's only getting, it, it seems to only be getting worse, right? Absolutely. As opposed to 
people are sinking in a little bit to, okay, this is going to, we're doing this for the long haul. But uh, a lot of people are going into this moment in time with gritted teeth. And I don't know about you, but I would hope that if I had my teeth gritted, that it would be short term, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, and there are moments, for sure. I think we all, as a, as human beings, we have moments where we're we're gritting our teeth and trying to just survive or get through it and all of that. And I totally understand that. If you're thinking about where is my next meal going to come because I was laid off and I don't know if I haven't, you know, like, those are very real, you know, issues. And so, you know, to say, oh, just breathe through it and you'll be fine, that seems a little insensitive. Correct. However... If you think about it in terms of, okay, I'm in this situation, what can I do to at least feel a little bit better in this moment? And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about incremental change, right? So um, my, when I started my mindfulness practice, mm-hmm. I, I did roughly, I think I started with like two minutes of meditation, guided meditation every day. And I was so excited when I hit the 30-day mark. And I, it was two minutes, like two minutes of my life. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to try this because I'm, you know, I was going through some pretty serious trauma at the time. And I thought, well, let's just see what this does. And over the course of those 30 days, I noticed such a shift in myself that I realized at the end I stopped counting because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is going to be a daily practice. This isn't even a question anymore. Like, can I do another day? It's, I can't wait to do it because I know how I feel during and after. Uh, And so on a personal level, this is, I think it it can be very useful, especially in this moment of, of fear of the unknown and all of that that you're, that you mentioned on an organizational level, it turns out that, There's a bunch of research, too, that shows that if you have any kind of mindfulness practice, and I want to say, too, that mindfulness came from uh, religious beginnings, right? It came from uh, spiritual beginnings and in the Eastern world and other religions. Uh, That's where it started. And so... um, So it turns out now the research is showing that if you have any kind of mindfulness practice, whether it's religious, spiritual, so religious might be prayer, Mm -hmm. um, spiritual might be, you know, some other connection to the larger world or the universe or whatever, um, or it's in the business world, the way I teach it is really about focusing on this present moment. And it turns out that not only does that do great things for your own health and wellness, it does amazing things for uh, lowering your bias. So I got really excited when I learned this because I'd been teaching implicit bias training for years, literally like a decade or decade and a half at that point. And my world's kind of collided because I had my own mindfulness practice and uh, I was teaching implicit bias. And so then all of a sudden I combined everything. And that's sort of the how my career has gone now. I wrote a book about it um, to talk about mindfulness, not only as a tool for health and wellness and healing and self-empowerment, but also culturally inclusive leadership development. Um, And I also talk about social justice and environmental justice because mindfulness is just this beautiful tool that we can use. And so, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. We're going to get into some of the other terms a little bit later, Dina. One of the things, you mentioned guided meditation. We've heard this several times over the course of the 57 weeks we've been doing this show. What is guided meditation? So guided meditation, and there's so many sites, I mean, that, that are, make it available. Um, so many apps that are out there. I, I highly recommend Insight Timer. In fact, all of the all of the um, the guided meditations from my book. Uh, I have twenty five mindfulness practices in my book, and they're all free on Insight Timer. I, I um, so that's you know I love that. I love having them out there. But there's like thousands of other teachers as well. So you may go on Insight Timer and and you know you're you're interested in this or interested in that. You know, and so there's so many ways to have access to it. What it is, is basically somebody walking you through. And as I mentioned, I'm happy to, to share a quick practice that I'll, I can guide you through so that people get a feel for what does that sure. actually feel like? What does it look like? Please yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm going to invite everyone to do is to uh, hopefully you're in a seated position and uh, just notice your body in the seat that you're in. And I invite you to start off just noticing your breath. Noticing if it is calm or if it's jagged. And just see if you can breathe into that for a moment. And then just notice if there's any anxiety or any tension in your body that you that you feel. And as you... Inhale, do the noticing, and on the exhale, see if you can breathe some space, some light, um, some air into those spaces in your body that need some extra TLC right now, some extra tender loving care. And then I'm going to invite you to take what I call a 10-second vacation. So you're going to inhale to a count of four. And exhale to a count of six. And see if you can slow your pace down of those seconds. So inhale for four. And exhale for six. And as you run through that just a couple of times, just notice what happens to your body. When you're ready, take another deep inhale and exhale. And if your eyes were closed, feel free to flutter them open and welcome back. That's amazing. You're just sitting here with all my notes and messages popping up in front of me. It's it was incredibly calming. It was absolutely incredibly calming. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have to take a break right here. We're going to come back with Dr. Dina Samuels. We're going to go into this in much more depth. Do not go away. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Sakari. This is Life Altering Events. I want to thank my sponsor again, the TAG Team, which is a partnership with the Abraham Group, headed by Jay Abraham, the most trusted marketing and business builder in the world, and my organization, Life Altering Events. And we've put together a program which we're looking to bring aspiring entrepreneurs and get them to a point where they can become successful quicker. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Dina Samuels with us, and we just went through a breathing and relaxation exercise. And if you did it with us, I'm sure you found your body just becoming much more relaxed, got rid of some of the tension of life as we're facing today. And I want Dr. Samuels to go back to that and, and get in more in, in, involved with what it does to your body and how it helps you. Go ahead, Dr. Samuels, yeah. continue. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I hope that folks found it um, relaxing. And uh, the, what the studies show, what the research shows is that if we, if our exhale, if we can make our exhale longer than our inhale, that's what actually calms your parasympathetic system and calms you down and lowers your cortisol, your, horm- your, your um, stress hormone. And so that's why I call it a 10 second vacation. And I split it up four to four and six, um, easy to remember, you know, easy to remember. So the ways that it can be used are, first of all, I, I think about it as a leadership technique because 
sometimes you're in a meeting and you, or perhaps you're even leading the meeting and somebody says something that is in some way offensive or triggering or challenging to you and you just want to immediately react. And what this practice does, if you can remember to do it, and that's really the practice, honestly, is to remember to do it, um, is it actually calms you down and you could be doing this while the meeting is going on and no one even knows that you're doing this, but yet you feel so much calmer. Now, the problems that have come up in the room haven't changed, but you have. So now you're able to respond rather than to react. And to me, that is an incredible leadership tool. Uh, it's a skill that, you know, that, that folks can practice. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Um, Besides calming you down and for your own health and wellness, we can actually be using this this uh, ten second vacation throughout the day, not only in meetings but also. I mean, I think about you know. I used to. I'm sure you can relate to this, or others can relate to this. You know, you're driving in your car and somebody cuts you off. Absolutely. And, you know, your you know your adrenaline just surges, right? Goes through the roof, and you are you know. Who knows what what your reaction might be, but you're, it, it's usually a strong reaction. Like the anger, frustration, usually it's based in fear, like, mm-hmm. you know, the surge of adrenaline and you're, you know, and so you're reacting to the person who just, quote unquote, did this to you, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what, you know, another, using this 10 second vacation means First of all, the adrenaline's still going to surge because your body is trying trying to protect itself, making sure it's okay in that you know in that flash, in that instant. Um, but as soon as you start feeling yourself wanting to react, you take this ten second vacation, right? And it mm-hmm. calms you down, and you can practice, you know, right in that moment. Which again, it's a practice to practice. You know, it's it's a practice to remember. Oh yeah, I can do this practice. I don't have to let it ruin my whole day. You've heard people at five o'clock in the night, you know, as they're ending their day going, people saying, how are you doing today? Or how was your day? And they're still angry about the person that cut them off in the morning. Like we need to let that stuff go, you know? Absolutely. So the idea, yeah. So the idea is in that moment you breathe and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I hope that person gets where they're going because you know, I, I not that, you know, you, you're basically saying, you're letting it go in that moment. So you're right. not going to react. You're more, you're more likely to say, okay, you know, may they be well. And in the meantime, as you do that, it actually increases your sense of wellness, your own sense of wellness and well-being. Now, you said so, something, yeah. Dina, that I loved. It was respond rather than react. And ladies and gentlemen, think about that yourself in your own life. When somebody says something to you, about you, near you, and there's that trigger, and you just react. And then 99% of the time, if you're like me, you say, oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that. So respond rather than react. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other the other piece to this, too, is, you know, you're in the grocery store, right? And these days, the grocery store is not the same experience as it used to be. And there's a lot of stress, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you see somebody perhaps without a mask on or you see or somebody gets too close to you or and they're not social distancing or, you know, all of these kinds of situations that 
you only have control, obviously, over yourself, right? You can't control somebody else and their behavior. So what you can do, hopefully you'll get away from the person without the mask off pretty quickly. <laughs> but but the idea is rather than, you know, it's another example of rather than letting it, you know, fester all day, because uh, it can do that, right? We all have been, have experienced that. That's a human, you know, the human um, way to be, right, is to to let it fester and instead, we have a choice. And that's another point here is that, you know, not only does it allow us to respond rather than, than react, it also sort of gives us more choices. Because when, when you are faced with something that is triggering to you, you don't feel like you have many choices. Like choice is not even an option right there. You are just, you know, in reaction mode. And so this sort of opens up the door to, okay, what can I do in this situation? What, how can I respond? Um, and so that, that gives you some time, some freedom, um, some space. Yeah. And, and also it allows you to perhaps have a more compassionate response than you might have otherwise. It's interesting because I've, I've uh, as I've listened and, and read about Dr. Samuels, and I've watched it, uh, the, some of these things transpire. We always have, well, not we always have, but many times you'll say, oh, God, why didn't I think of saying that back then? Mm-hmm. Now, if you do this little 10-second vacation, get yourself under control, the choices and options can become available rather than this knee-jerk saying something stupid. Right. Yes, 100%. And, and so you can think about how that would, how that would play out in the workplace, too. Right. Even if you're on, you know, a, a video workspace, you know, if you're on a chat or whatever, that you might want to want to react to somebody um, based on what they say or whatever. And this gives you a moment to think about how what's going to be most effective in this moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I've heard you say, Dr. Samuels, that the major barrier, a major barrier to mindfulness is bias, both implicit and unconscious. You mentioned that earlier. Please explain that a little more. So, yeah, so uh, bias really gets in the way of a lot of things. Um, I mean, we could say there's, there's a lot of people who have bias against mindfulness because they have some underlying ideas or some preconceived notions, maybe some stereotypes about who does mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And so that could prohibit folks or inhibit them from actually engaging in this practice. And that's, you know... That's one example of how bias can can play out. But in the work that I do in terms of implicit and unconscious bias and in terms of uh, leadership development, uh, bias is huge. And unfortunately, most of us don't even know what our biases are. And this is really problematic because you can't... So bias, bias, you can minimize bias, right? If you know not only what your biases are, but... Uh, how to do that, how to change them. And that takes some training, you know, for sure, um, on an individual level as well as on an organizational level. And you need both, for sure. If you want to create cultural shift of, you know, to create more cultural inclusion in your organization, you need both personal uh, training, skill building, all of that, as well as organizational, looking at your organization and see where what, what we call bias triggers are. And uh, so this is, I mean, this is kind of what people ask me to do probably more than anything else is uh, unconscious bias training 
so that they have not only they learn about their own biases and figure out exactly uh, where they're stuck, where their brain is stuck on a stereotype, but also what to do about that. And we need that action. We need awareness and action. Um, and so that, you know, that that's really what I'm at, invited most often to do, as well as my microaggressions training, um, mm-hmm. which I can talk some more about too, if you're We'll get to microaggressions in just a second. Let's stay on the bias for a moment. I work with a number of businesses uh, from the business perspective, not from the mindfulness perspective. And this this bias you mentioned is really interesting because I was talking with a a CEO of a company and they're struggling. And he said, we're having a great deal of trouble getting business. And then they're in the financial sector. He says, getting business from people 35 and below. We just, we just, we're we're terrible. And that's a, a, a burgeoning, emerging market for us and so I asked him well what do you attribute that to and he said and I love this answer he said Frank when I look at my executive meeting my executive staff all I see are old fat bald white guys Mm. we all went to the same schools we go to the same church we belong to the same country club we can finish each other's sentences and I thought that was good for a while but it's Mm -hmm. killing us wow that's amazing self-awareness. That's what that's what that looks like to me. <laughs> I was shocked, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. That's that's wonderful. I think that's a great starting point for for anybody to consider who's who's already in the company, right? We can talk all day about recruitment, and I work with several different companies that do um, diversity recruiting, um, and that's you know that's sort of this this idea of getting folks with uh, traditionally marginalized social identities into their organization. But the truth is we're, we're not going to, they're not going to retain, they're not going to stay in the company if there is not a cultural shift that has to happen. And in my mind, that shift actually needs to come before the recruitment, right? So you need the cultural shift. So folks, when they, when you do bring in folks to, um, that have traditionally marginalized social identities, whether it be around race or gender or uh, sexual orientation or social class or any of these these pieces, uh, disability, uh, that the, the culture is ready to welcome folks in. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. That, uh, right now, um, Dr. Samuels, we, uh, there's sound bites everywhere. Everybody's got a sound bite about a social justice issue or whatever the issue happens to be. And they're putting it in their, uh, in their uh, annual reports and all these kinds of things. But what I'm hearing and reading is more and more of these diversity inclusion programs are deteriorating because the, the additional stress that's being brought upon that Hey, you know, it's nice. That's a nice thing, you know, when we can get around to it. But right now we got other problems to deal with. Are you seeing that? Yes, I'm definitely seeing that. That that um and the other problems are I mean, they're clear, right? We think there's businesses going going out of business, mm-hmm. right? There's a, a lot of people who are not, you know, who are who are really who are going bankrupt and everything else from from what's going on in the in the world right now. And uh so definitely I'm seeing that my my response to that is this isn't something that can wait. So first of all, if you do have folks from traditionally marginalized identities with traditionally marginalized identities in your uh, business, the, you know, 
if you're not talking about it, that doesn't mean there isn't a problem, right? If no, if if you don't hear it in your organization that well, nobody's bringing it up, so therefore it's not a problem. That is like my number one myth of, of racism, race and racism right now mm-hmm. um, in our in in organizations that we really need to be addressing these issues. There is such a systemic inequality that's going on. And, and for your client is uh, the person you were speaking with, I think is a perfect example that if it's all white males and this is not to bash on anybody, right? Like this is not about male bashing or white bashing or any of that. It's just the system, the way it is, as he pointed out as a white male, right? Mm-hmm. That he looks around and he sees people like him that's a diversity, equity, and inclusion problem, right? That, that's, and he noticed that. He got that that is an issue and he needs to do something different about it. The needs of millennials are, I mean, if you look at the research now, you will see an incredible shift of what millennials are, are how, they, how they want their uh, organizations to be. In other words, they will only come into an organization if, for example, there's flexible hours. We didn't have that before, you know. They, they'll only come into an organization. And when I say come into an organization, I mean stay, come in, stay, feel really excited about the company. If, you know, flexible hours is one, um, that there's a commitment to cultural inclusion, that's another um, there's, you know, there's several different pieces that are different for this market. Um, and more and more of folks are going to be millennials and they're already making up the majority of our workforce now. And it's only going to grow in that way. So if you are not thinking about cultural inclusion, diversity, equity and inclusion in your organization, you're not going to be marketable very, very soon, if not yeah. already. You better be thinking about it seriously. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against another break here. We're going to come back and get into the microaggressions that Dr. Samuels mentioned and the environmental justice. And then we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, the current state of the world. So do not go away. You don't want to miss this last segment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life-Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. 
A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to start our third segment with Dr. Dina Samuels and... This has been just an incredible conversation, these first two segments. Make sure, if you've missed any of it, you listen to it on demand, which will be available a little bit later today. Uh, When we left, Dr. Samuels had gotten into the implicit and unconscious biases and how they have impact and and ways and methods to address those, which is is incredibly important if you are going to sustain yourself in the business world. The millennials are the population and the Gen Zers are coming right behind them and they're not going to put up with what was done before. So mm-hmm. the management level is the one that really has to change. Now there are, there's Dr. Samuels, there are, and there will continue to be major changes, obviously um, that cause more stress and more annoyance and use a term and you're writing uh, microaggressions. What is a microaggression and how does it impact people and organizations? Yeah, so um, microaggressions, and I some people call them micro inequities, but I like to be a little bit more specific about what they are. Um, micro inequities it, um, is a term that's used so that to kind of um, make it a little bit less intimidating when you hear microaggression. It sounds it could be it could sound um, uh, intimidating in some way, but the reality is what microaggressions are. Uh, it are these um, slights or invalidations that happen throughout uh, the day and the targets of them typically are folks with traditionally marginalized identities, right? So in the workforce, that could be women, it could be folks of color, it could be, um, you know, people in the LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer um, communities. It could be somebody with a disability. So, um, thinking about uh, what what does this mean? How does this show up? So oftentimes people will say, you know, microaggressions are subtle. Um, and I always, I, they, they might seem subtle to the person who's microaggressing, but the receiver, the recipient of the microaggression, there's nothing subtle about what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, it doesn't feel subtle. And so when somebody is being made to feel like they don't belong. Um, the the question goes back to the person who is doing the microaggression, who's microaggressing, who has said a comment, made a comment, done some behavior that uh, that you know is really inappropriate in the workplace, but they don't know they're doing it. 
So this is the difference between a microaggression and outright racism or sexism or heterosexism or ageism or ableism, et cetera, right? That, that if it's intentional, then uh, I would put it in a different category. Mm-hmm. What, happen, what I see most often in the workplace are people don't even know what they don't know, right? So they're saying things that they're, they're you know, and then they're getting dinged for it in some way. They're getting, you know, somebody will... will will either um, they've created some sort of rift in a relationship or somebody comes back to them and says, how could you say that or something? And the person who is doing the microaggression or who has done the microaggression often, like I'm saying, doesn't even realize they've done it or they just haven't been schooled on it. They haven't been educated in that way. And we certainly don't educate around these issues in our school system here in the United States. Um, Maybe they do in other places, but for sure not here. And um, what happens is uh, it causes, they can cause a rift and people get so nervous about, they're, they're afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing and now they will no longer engage. They're afraid to engage at all. So they stop and, you know, or sometimes they'll stop before they start because they're afraid to say the wrong thing and cause that rift. So. What happens, unfortunately, is we're not building relationships across social differences. And as I always say, building relationships across social differences is actually an antidote to social injustice. Like it's one of the ways that we can actually change the system, right, from an, mm-hmm. on an individual level, is to build those relationships. So learning more about microaggressions is critical in that process. Uh, I'm sure everyone can think of some time in their business career uh, where somebody said something and and you kind of thought, hmm, is it, you know, is that okay to say? Or maybe you know, maybe maybe you know, the person doesn't know any better, or or you think to yourself, man, that person's racist or sexist or you know, almost all the time, not always, but almost all the time, they don't have a clue. They just don't realize what they don't know. And so, as I'm saying, I think training is probably the, the, a really good step. But in addition to that, being open to learning, I think we're not. We, th- we always want to believe that we already know. And so mm-hmm. we don't want to get into those kind of conversations. But we really need to be open-minded, open-hearted to learn more about what we don't know we don't know. One of the things, I love what you just said there, um, when the Me Too movement started um, a couple years back, and we were dealing with um, a couple of organizations, and, and they, were, they didn't know what to do. They said, we, we're absolutely lost. And, and one executive said to me, well, I've got a solution for this. And I said, well, that's wonderful. What, what would that be? And he goes, I'm just not going to hire any women. Right, yeah. And I said, you're cutting out more than half of the uh, workforce. Mm-hmm. So how's that going to work when you need people in organization, in your organization, and the most qualified people are women? I said, no, you're not going to have to worry about it because they're not going to come and work here. Yeah. And you're That's eliminating. Yeah. Exactly. It's what you said prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I, I just want to add there, too, that uh, we know, you know, the case for diversity is very well, well evidenced at this point that organizations that are uh, are bringing in a more diverse workforce and doing the work around that, so creating a culture, an inclusive culture, uh, are actually doing much better in the marketplace than those that aren't. And so, uh, you know, even just 
mean, first of all, you know, having more people, more ideas, more uh, differences in your conversation actually creates better solution. Uh, so we know that. But in addition to that, it really makes a difference to your bottom line. And so why organizations aren't getting involved. I mean, I know it's an uphill battle. It's a challenge, right? It's it's not easy to do, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. You know, just starting a business is challenging. So why not, you know, why not do it in a way that you're going to be most successful? Right. Give yourself the best chance of success. Exactly. Another term you say that, that I love, uh, Dr. Samuels, is, is environmental justice. Now, how does that impact the diversity and culture, cultural inclusion? Yeah, so in my in my latest book, I talk about the idea that we can use mindfulness as I, I sort of weave a thread of mindfulness as a tool for all of these different areas that I mentioned before from you know, healing, health and wellness, to self-empowerment, to culturally inclusive leadership development, to social justice and environmental justice. The truth is environmental justice is such, it's only going to become a bigger and bigger field. Back in the day, probably only a couple of decades ago, people had never even heard the language. They didn't know, you know, when they heard about, you know, climate change or or um, something along those lines, they would be immediately going to, you know, it's too big, I can't deal with it. And now people are starting to understand, oh, this is something we all need to be thinking about. And it is scary. I'm not going to lie. Like, it really is a scary topic for many people. And yet at the same time, it's our reality. And so if you're not thinking about environmental justice in some way, thinking about what's happening, the, the warming of the planet and what our our overwhelming consumption uh, is doing overwhelming production and consumption uh, is doing to the planet. We're, you know, we're not really thinking, we're not living in reality. So, you know, I use mindfulness practices to acknowledge what's going on and to allow us to consider, again, it's noticing, you know, for example, when you're buying something, do you, do you, um, do you need it or do you want it, right? If it's, and I'm not saying you should never buy anything you want, you should only buy your needs, but just thinking about, just asking yourself that question and weighing it is already a mindfulness practice because you're noticing what, what's happening. It turns out that environmental justice is the idea that, uh, that the people who are going to be hurt first and worst from climate change are people with with um, traditionally disadvantaged uh, social identities. So uh, when you think about that, who's who's less likely to have insurance? Uh, who's more likely to be doing work in plants without precautions? You know, it's usually people with brown skin uh, and around the planet. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to think about that concept in terms of, you know, what does this mean as we buy products? What does this mean from a social justice standpoint? Absolutely. Now, Dr. Samuel, let's address the elephant in the room here. The world, as we said in the beginning, has experienced a, a social movement for diversity and, and equality and inclusion. And we've seen these movements in my lifetime, every decade since the 60s, it seems we have, we go through this. The signs, the marching, the protests makes noise, but we don't, and we hear the public statements, but we don't see any really lasting change. Now, it's better than it was in the 60s, obviously, but more and more of these programs 
are being put on a back burner. Why is that dangerous? Well, um, we've I think with this latest um, racial uh, upheaval, um, acknowledgement of, of social inequalities, maybe is a better way to put that, um, mm-hmm. and the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I think that there has been some change this time, um, which is interesting to see. I mean, this is nothing new, right? So that's another important piece for some folks. You know, they're starting to wake up to the fact that you know social injustice actually is a thing. Like that, that ex- actually is true, and it's a it's a harsh, you know, reality awakening. Uh, but it it's not new. It's been going on for decades, if not centuries, at this point. Mm-hmm. And so I think that with this current round since George Floyd's death at the end of May, uh, we've seen some pretty significant change. And, and um, so I do, I do have a little bit of hope that, that things might actually shift. Uh, if, uh, once again, if you're not thinking about this in your organization and how it applies, even if your organization is filled with white folks, you need to be thinking about this. You need to be um, uh, uh, concerned with that because it's something that affects all of us in terms of, you know, if for no other reason than uh, within the next couple of decades, whites are going to be the numerical minority in this country. Yes. And so we're becoming more multicultural. So if you're not building relationships across social differences, again, you're behind the, the you know, you're behind the curve. That's absolutely the case, and and it seems uh, this time that there's it. It seems more inclusive. Younger people, all different races, all coming together. Where in the '60s and '70s, that usually that wasn't really the case. So we are making progress. Now we're just about out of time here. So, Dr. Samus, what final words of hope would you like to give the people in the organizations that are struggling with this at this time? That's a great question. Um, I would encourage folks to get together within their organizations with perhaps people who are interested in the topic to start at least um, and to have some conversations and they might be challenging to begin with. But really, when you come at this work from a place of um, authenticity and saying, look, I don't know what we should be doing exactly, but I know we need to be doing something. So let's talk about it. Let's brainstorm some ideas. And please don't leave it at that initial conversation. There needs to be some accountability and there needs to be a plan. Um, you know, the, I can help folks with that, organizations with that, as many, you know, there are many of us out there that can actually come and help facilitate those kinds of conversations. But that would be a starting place. Yeah. The key thing, ladies and gentlemen, is to do something. Take mm-hmm. the first step, even if it's a half step do something. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned, we're just about out of time. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Dina Samuels, for sharing how to live in the moment by incorporating mindfulness activities into our uh, into our lives. I will post uh, the name of her book. And if you want any more information about Dr. Samuels, you can email me or her directly, and I'll make sure it gets to her. One more time, let me thank my sponsor, the Tag Team, which is a partnership with Jay Abraham and life-altering events to help the next generation of businesses thrive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. Look up. Get up. Never, ever give up. 
pick up the pieces, start moving forward, and better times and better people will come into your life. If you missed this, any of this show or any of our other shows, they will be available on demand on any number of places, now including iHeartRadio, Alexa, Google, and my website, franksakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, as I do every week. None of us are in this alone, and the secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Dr. Dina Samuels showed you where many of those rocks are. Join me next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.